Welcome to the Service Academy Sorority, a space where women that have graduated from the service academies can share their stories and build a sense of camaraderie and sisterhood. In this episode, I interview Elisa Reindance, a 2009 graduate from the United States Air Force Academy in Colorado Springs. You'll get to hear all about the ups and downs of her journey towards self-discovery as she redefines herself from being a college gymnast to a military officer to eventually uncovering her passion as a coach. Enjoy the show. Welcome to the podcast, Elisa. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Uh, Can you tell everyone where you're from, what school you went to, and when you graduated? Yeah, for sure. I am from a little bit of everywhere. My dad was in the Army, so Mm. we moved around a lot. Mostly on the East Coast is where I spent my childhood. And -hmm. then I came to Colorado to go to the Air Force Academy. I graduated in 2009. After graduation, I was stationed in Virginia and California. And after a couple of years as a civilian in California, I ended up back here in Colorado. Nice. Uh, in Colorado Springs, where the Air Force Academy is? or I'm just north of Colorado Springs in a town called Monument. So more or less. Yeah, nice. So can you give everyone, before we dive into the details of your story, can you give everyone just a, a one to two liner of who you are? I'm a coach. I work with veterans and I am passionate about working together to heal the resilience of us service sisters as a group, whether that's emotionally, spiritually, mentally, physically. That's who I am in a couple sentences. That's good. I love it. Um, Okay. Well, so let's go back to the beginning then uh, when you were deciding where you wanted to go to college. Uh, what made you choose a service academy and what made you specifically choose the Air Force Academy? Growing up, I had no intentions of going to a service academy. My parents and my sister both went to, or all three of them went to West Point. And I thought, you know what? I've seen how this goes. I just want to be a normal kid. I want to have a normal college experience. I want nothing to do with this service academy thing. And so My parents were totally supportive of that. And my dad said, you know what, wherever you want to go is totally fine. But I was being recruited at the time for gymnastics to the Air Force Academy. And that's the only service academy to my understanding with a women's gymnastics team. So he said, why don't you go out there and at least go on this recruiting trip, see what it's all about. So I agreed thinking there's no way that I am going to want to go to school here. And I don't know what it is about Colorado, but it sucked me in and it was a little bit shamefully that at the end of my first day of that recruiting trip, I called my dad up and I said, you know, I came out here with intentions of telling you, I told you so I want nothing to do with this. I don't want to come here, but just spending that first day around the team and in, in and around the campus and in Colorado, I was pretty much hooked. Mm, It's that mile high air. (laughs) I think so. It is a beautiful campus. I've been there. Um, did you, so, so after you kind of got hooked there, I mean, that was it. You didn't even look at the other academies at all. You just were like, that's it. No, I had dabbled a little bit in pole vaulting in high school. So if I went to West Point, it was going to be going the track and field route. Mm-hmm. And that was really the only other academy I looked at. Interesting. And, and you, your, your family obviously has roots in West Point. So how did they feel about you choosing an Air Force Academy? 
you know, they're very supportive. I, Mm -hmm. (laughs) it's, it's a joke now around football season, but I never really felt any kind of resentment or disappointment or any kind of way from them for having chosen the air force route. Mm -hmm. Um, it was kind of this running joke in the family because my parents both went to West Point and ended up flying. Uh, and then here I am at the Air Force Academy and had no intentions of flying. <laughs> so we were like, well, if you don't want to fly, why'd you go there? But <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So did you mostly get support then from the people around you when you made that announcement that, you know, you want to go to the Air Force Academy from family and friends? I did. Mm-hmm. I did. It was it seemed to be something that everyone else always knew was going to happen. And I just wasn't clued into that. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Now you said you grew up mostly on the East coast. So you were on the East coast when you made this decision. Yeah. I went to high school in Virginia. Okay. Okay. So was that a, a unique decision to go to a federal service Academy for your school? You know, not really. Uh, Being in Northern Virginia, as I'm sure you can imagine, a lot of children's parents are at the Pentagon or Fort Belvoir or Quantico. There's tons of military bases around. Uh, There was a classmate of mine who went to the Merchant Marine Academy, and then I believe another who went to Coast Guard from my high school. And -hmm. our county had, I don't know, eight or 10 high schools. So it was pretty common. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. So you go out to the Air Force Academy. How was your experience? What are some of the highlights of your time while you were there? That's a good question. I, to be honest with you, the recruiting trip I took out here, my focus was more so on the gymnastics team than the school itself. Uh, I, I remember going to academic classes with a girl who was a senior at the time. And I thought I wanted to major in biochem and go the pre-med route and that's what she was doing so I went into these classes with her and I was just amazed at the difficulty of the academics and of course she was a senior so that was well into the academy experience but I was still amazed by the difficulty of how difficult academics looked at the academy because that wasn't my experience in high school and I imagine that's not the experience of a lot of people who end up at an academy What I remember the most is the camaraderie among the team. It seemed this, it seemed to be this oasis and this escape from everything that was going on in school because it seemed like this very stressful academic environment, this very stressful military environment. And then having the sports team was this almost mirage, right? This escape. And, and I really wanted to be a part of that Mm. and know that I had that family and that support system to get me through everything else that was going on outside of the team. Yeah. Yeah. I know that there was a similar feel at the Merchant Marine Academy. There was always this joke, like if you were on like the dinghy sailing team and you went down to the waterfront, it was like normal life. Like you, you, you crossed this threshold into like normalcy when you were with your team. (laughs) Yeah. That's very much what it felt like. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so if you had to sum up your time at the Academy in one word, what would that be? Good question. Unexpected. Mm. Hmm. What does that mean to you? So despite having three family members go through before me, I had no idea what to expect (laughs) in any sense of the word. So 
morning one after that first night of basic training and that first night of in processing that first morning when they bang on the door and they scream at you and they're yelling at you to get outside and put your pants on no one told me that's how they wake you up (laughs) (laughs) so even from day one i was like you know what i did not sign up for this i want to go home uh but it was better in hindsight to go in completely blind and just learn as I go. Of mm. course, I would have liked to know a little bit more. There were, there were prior service folks in my basic training squadron who seemed to know not to take everything as seriously as I did. So it would have been good to know what to take seriously and what to not take so seriously. Mm. Mm. It all worked out in the end. But yeah, it was a series of unexpected. <laughs> yeah. Now, how does it work at the Air Force Academy? Because at the Merchant Marine Academy, when you arrive, I mean, they're right on you, like right when you arrive. <laughs> so that first day, um, you know, you're getting screamed at, your hair is getting cut off, you're getting, you know, tossed into five minute showers and, and everything. So it starts right when you get there. Is that the way it is at the Air Force Academy? It is. Yeah. yeah. So you say goodbye to your family and the building that you in process at is a bus ride away from the actual campus and the actual cadet area. So your family drops you off at, I'm blanking on the name of the building, but at this building where you do your in processing and get on the bus. So that's when they say goodbye to you. Mm. So as soon as you get on the bus, the bus ride is just people in your face screaming at you. And gotcha. Then you yeah. get off the bus and onto what they call the footprints, which is, of course, where you learn how to stand at attention. Yeah, Kings Point has the grinder. You stand on the grinder and everybody's screaming at you how, you know, you're standing wrong and all that stuff. So interesting. Yes. Very yeah. similar. I, I don't know where I was when they taught us the seven basic responses, but I didn't get them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, I ended up calling everybody sir. I think that was like the hardest thing to, I don't know why. It's just like, yeah. And then you get screamed at because you're calling everybody sir instead of ma'am. And it seemed like everybody had that issue too. So, yeah. But yeah. Um, so, okay. So what were your goals? Like, I know it sounds like gymnastics was the real draw for you. Um, but did you have like any idea of what you wanted to do post-graduation? What was your focus? Going in that first year, I had no idea. I really didn't know. I, I mean, I was 17 when I went to the academy and I didn't turn 18 until the January of my freshman year. So that second semester of freshman year. So wow, I was yeah. a kid. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I had no idea. And even going into sophomore year when it was time to pick our majors, I had no idea what I wanted to study. You know, I went in thinking I want to be a doctor. Um, freshman year, I almost failed chemistry and biology. So that wasn't going to work out for me. Um, so I needed to figure out what to major in, but honestly, I had no idea. Mm -mm. Yeah. So did that evolve over time? You just, uh, like when you graduated, you just figured it out. Like how did you land on what you wanted? Yeah, I, so I ended up majoring in social sciences, which appealed to me because you had the most elective classes. Mm. So it was a little bit of a hodgepodge of everything. It was political science and behavioral science and 
marriage and family science. It was all these different social sciences and you could, let's say the other majors and I'm just throwing numbers out here had five electives. This one had 10. Mm -hmm. I had more choice of just getting a, a, a taste of the entire buffet, if you will. Yeah. And I, I learned that I really enjoyed the people aspect and understanding how people work and how people tick. And so that led me into wanting to be in the personnel career field. So mm -hmm. I eventually did piece, put the pieces together. Um, mm -hmm. But at, at the beginning, I was totally clueless. Yeah. Yeah. And you mentioned that you were, you were quite overwhelmed with like how hard the courses were. Um, was it that you had to take a lot of classes or was it just the instruction? Was it just everything with the academic piece? It was, uh, I think it was the material for me. The yeah. material was just way more difficult than what I'd been presented in high school. That combined with, I'd, I'd say the, you know, college instruction is different than high school instruction. Mm -hmm. So it's more self-paced. And for me, it was hard to say, hey, I need help. So I would just try to power everything, power through everything without going to additional instruction time. Yeah. And it just was it, hard. And did you find it um, difficult to also juggle the fact that you were, you know, this, an athlete, you were a gymnast and, you know, you have regimental duties and you're in school all day. Like, was that hard for you as well? Or did, was that not so much a struggle? Honestly, it wasn't. And I imagine that's because of the training commitments I had in high school. We were training 30 hours per week in high school. So mm. I always had to figure out how to best manage my time. Yeah. So for me, it was just different things thrown on the plate. Mm -hmm. I was pretty, pretty good at the time management piece because of my high school experience. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so what, were there any major uh, low lights for you during your time at the Academy? <laughs> Yes. Uh, so for me, and like I mentioned, I going to do gymnastics in college was a huge dream of mine. And it always was. I had my third knee surgery my freshman year and never actually competed. Um, and then I ended up leaving the team my sophomore year. So this, this lifelong dream of mine and one of the things that drew me to the academy in the first place was suddenly no longer part of the equation. So that was a real bummer in hindsight. And, and really at the time too, it was a blessing because it allowed me to really focus on, okay, am I, now that I'm not doing gymnastics, because this is before commitment, of course, before junior year started, it made me answer the question, am I here because I want to serve or am I here for gymnastics mm -hmm. and realize that I was there because I wanted to serve and gymnastics, while it was a nice piece of the puzzle and a nice addition to have it wasn't the actual reason why I was there yeah what a huge mental shift though really because yeah. I mean the whole reason you even went there and looked at it was because you were recruited as a gymnast and it sounds like you were doing gymnastics for a long time in your life so yeah. that's such that must have been really hard and then to have to make this big decision about you know, like, are you going to keep pursuing this? That's tough. Yeah. yeah. It was really hard. And at the time, you know, being in the Academy, I'm, not, I'm sure you can relate. You think you're an adult, right? Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. Got it figured out. I was a kid. I was 19 at the time. And 
it's a big decision for a kid to have to make. And, and for me, I had always, I attached my identity to being a gymnast. Mm. So it was the first time I had to say, who am I? Yeah. Without that. Yeah. That's a lot. That's a lot at that age. And, and there's a lot riding on it when you're at an academy, because it's not just like changing a major. I mean, you have a commitment, you know, to the military afterwards. So it's a big decision to be making at that age, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And then also, I mean, just more logistically, but like you had knee surgery. So how did that impact your time at the academy as well? Yeah. So uh feels weird to say this, but thankfully that was my third knee surgery of the same sort. So I had yeah. been through the surgery and recovery process before and I knew, knew what to expect. I had done the same thing to my left knee in high school and had two surgeries for it. So then I did that to my right knee my freshman year and I knew, like I said, what to expect. And also when the surgeon presents you options and is saying, you know, this one's best for longevity, this one's best for quick recovery. I knew what answer to give, right? It was a, it was something I'd been through before. So Mm. being that it was freshman year, there was a a bit of a stigma attached to being the girl that had surgery and is she trying to get out of training and is she trying to get out of squadron running and all this stuff. But ultimately it was for the best. Yeah. Did did you really feel impacted by that stigma? Because I know at the Merchant Marine Academy, like that stigma is for real. You know, if you get labeled as someone who's, we call it on sick chit, you know, um, mm. you know, you, you do, you get labeled as someone who's constantly trying to get out of things, out of the running around between classes and whatever, marching. And um, did that impact your relationships at all with people or it was a kind of common at the school for people to be injured and stuff. It was it. it, So there was a stigma attached to, we call it form 18. So Mm -hmm. if you were a form 18 er you were seen as that person who's just trying to get out of running between classes and, and doing X, Y, and Z for me, because it was such a short recovery process, I was back to back to full capacity pretty quickly. Yeah. Um, so it didn't affect me as much as I know it affected a lot of the other people in my squadron who were on those longer profiles for other medical issues. Yeah. So, so tell me about, um, your experience at the Academy with, with your roommates and, you know, your classmates, did you feel, uh, how did you feel? Did you feel like you really had strong connections, uh, during your time there? Yeah. So freshman year. It was harder for me to get along with my roommates than it was the rest of the time. And I think part of that is just learning to live with other people. <laughs> mm. I've never lived with other people before and we're in a 10 foot by 10 foot room or however big it was. And we butted heads a lot. My first roommate, I was a morning person and she was not. So I'd like to get up early and it really bothered her. So we didn't necessarily have the best relationship. Um, my second roommate that I had also my freshman year, we got along much better, um, but she was dating someone in our squadron who was always in our room and always over visiting. And, and it, it almost felt like I had two roommates that semester, yeah. um, which led to some conflict between us. But overall, we got along fine. It was really sophomore year and on that I was with 
my roommate and I became really good friends and we formed this really tight knit group of friends who we were always around each other. And I was just talking with her the other day, actually recognizing how lucky we were to have those close friends and to have basically a, a sisterhood of our own to really lean on and rely on. Mm. Is that, do you have this, a sense that that's common in the Air Force Academy? That the women get along? You know, I, I, I imagine we can do a lot better. I, while we had this tight group of friends, I look at the way that we were isolated from all the other women and kind of shut ourselves off from the other women. And it was almost like, it was a lot like high school and you have these cliques everywhere and Mm -hmm. you don't trust anyone outside your circle. So Mm -hmm. in that sense, people within your circle, you could really lean on and trust, but everyone outside was almost, uh, almost the enemy, if you will. Like you can't trust them. You don't know who they are. Don't let them in kind of thing. So it was very much protective and defensive. That's fascinating. Like protective and defensive against what? Like what was the sense if you had more women involved in your group, you know, was it a competition thing with with the men or with each other? Like what was the what was the defensiveness about? I've tried to answer that question and I'm not sure. It was interesting. I had, we had our 10 year reunion last fall and we all, I had the same conversation with dozens of people like, oh, it's so great that we can be friends now. It almost felt like we couldn't be friends then. It was trying to outperform each other or trying to impress the guys or whatever it was that we felt like we couldn't trust each other. We couldn't be friends with each other. And it was a very universal belief. Um, Personally, I didn't follow a lot of rules. So for me, it came from if this person's in my circle, they could get me in trouble, if you will. Uh, Gotcha. Mm -hmm. And how... How did you feel when it came to the men? Did, did, you, did you interact with them a lot? Like, uh, as I'm saying, like on a deeper level, like did you feel like you had strong bonds with the men? I did, yeah. Our group of friends, it was a handful of dudes and a handful of girls, and I felt like I could trust them with anything mm. and, and vice versa. It was very much a family feel within the, the circle that I was in. Gotcha. Yeah. It's fascinating. Hmm. Um, so, so if you take your whole, your whole collective experience at the Air Force Academy, what would you say some of the biggest lessons you learned were? That's a good question. Biggest lessons. Take responsibility for my own actions. Hmm. Um, I, I bought in, you know, hundred percent to the honor code. And that to me was really important that honesty, integrity, being true to your word was really important to me. The one thing that we learned during basic training that was hard for me to adjust to coming from individual sports, my entire childhood was 
working as a team. I had no idea how to work as a team. My whole life, it was everyone, every man for themselves. So working as a team was a huge takeaway for me. And you felt, you felt like the Academy really fostered that, like on a deep level that you really needed to work as a team. It wasn't just like a surface level team. I do. I do believe that. Um, of course, that was more so during basic training. After mm -hmm. that, it was almost as if it was back to every man for himself. But yeah. during basic, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. Okay. So, okay. So you make it to graduation. What was the plan when you got to graduation? <laughs> My plan was do five years and separate because mm -hmm. our commitment um, from Air Force is five years. So my plan was five years and move on. Mm -hmm. And then, so what happened? Where did you end up? Um, and how did you make the decision for your first your first stop after graduation? Yeah, so my first base was Langley Air Force Base in Virginia. And for us at the time, and I, I think it's changed since, so I'm not sure how they do it now, but we received our assignments on what they call hundreds night. So 100 nights from graduation, that's when you find out where you're going. So I found out then I was going to Langley Air Force Base in Virginia. I did my first three years there. And my career field was force support. So personnel, services, and manpower all combined into this career field that the Air Force calls force support. I, like I said, I wanted to be involved with people and, man, and really lean into that, how people tick and helping people aspect of being in the Air Force. So I love the appeal of the personnel career field. The force support career field did not exist when we put in our preferences for what career field we, were, we wanted to be in. So when I got to my first base and learned more about the force support career field, it was brand new. It was the first or second year that it even existed. And it was very haphazard. There was no real clear career progression. Again, this is at the time. So this is 10 years ago. I, I'm sure it's changed since then. But I did my first three years and hopped around between various different jobs while I was at Langley. And then I PCS to Monterey, California at the Defense Language Institute, where I did a section commander job, which is basically all the admin work that is typically handled at the base level, at the unit level, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. And I did one deployment from Monterey over to Kabul for six months. And then as soon as I got back from that deployment, I basically went through TAP, went on terminal leave, and then separated. Mm. Okay, so go back for a second. When you're at the academy, do you have any say in that first, that first base that you go to and the first, you know, position that you get? Do you, do you have any say in that? Like, do you put like a list together of your preferences? We do. Yeah. Okay. So we put a list together of our base preferences. Um, for me at the time, I was dating someone, so our base preferences aligned. Uh, I, I had no desire to go to many of the bases that were on this list, but we ended up with the same assignment. Of course, broke up before graduation, so that didn't necessarily work out according to plan, but we do get a say in our bases. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, 
Okay. So your plan was to be in for five years and it sounds like, it sounds like that's what you did. You stayed in and then you separated at around the five year mark. Correct. Yep. Yeah. hundred percent. Okay. So when you decided to separate, what was your feeling about the military, your service, and what was the plan beyond that? I had a great relationship with my time in the service. I grew up a lot. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I learned a lot and I was confident in moving on to the civilian world. And my plan was to take a year off and figure it out because I had no idea what it is that I wanted to do. And it felt very reminiscent of what I described about being a freshman sophomore at the academy where I had no idea what I wanted to do. And so my plan was to take a year off and buy myself some time to figure it out. Mm -hmm. And it, it worked out well from a financial perspective because I had just finished a deployment and I had plenty of money saved up to do that. Mm -hmm. So anytime my leadership or family or friends would ask me about my plan, I was super stoked on it. And I tell them, Oh, I have no idea. I'm just going to take a year off. I'm going to figure it out. It's going to be great. And they, they all looked at me like I was crazy. And they're like, what do you mean you're going to take a year off? Like, what are you going to do about health insurance? And what are you going to do about a salary and a job and benefits? Yeah. I was like, dude, I don't know. I don't care. I just want to take a year off and figure it out. And so long story short, I, I gave in to all that pressure. And before I finished my weekend tap, I had interviewed for and accepted a job. And I started that job before my terminal leave even ended. Yeah, that fear is real. And yeah. everybody around. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, interesting. So, so what was the position that you accepted? So I was managing a gymnastics facility up in San Jose. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm not sure if you spent much time in Silicon Valley, but it's really hard to be working in a gym <laughs> trying to live in Silicon Valley. Yeah, I can only imagine. <laughs> uh, and talk about a big a big transition from the lifestyle you were just living. I mean, you were deployed in the service and now you're working in a gym environment. Uh, was that a big, how did that feel for you? Cause you were comfortable in the gym, obviously when you were a gymnast, right? So yeah. Um, how did that feel? I loved being in the gym. I loved that environment. I, I was surprised by, by, so all of my employees were very young. They were, you know, summer employees teaching gymnastics before they go back to school again in high school. So 16 to 18 years old was the majority age for most of them. And I was used to working with 18-year-old young airmen. I wasn't used to working with 18-year-old civilian kids. Mm. So there was this, in the military, of course, this sense of, I have to be here by this time, wearing this, doing this, and that's all you have to tell them. They'll show up and they'll do it. That's not the same with civilian high school kids. <laughs> yeah, yeah, a little different. <laughs> yeah, it was a big <laughs> learning experience for me in how to lead and manage high school kids. So that was a huge shift for me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it sounds like it was it was just a, was it rough being in Silicon Valley as well? Was that tough too? 
just with how expensive it is and that whole lifestyle up there? It was. It, uh, I love California and being in Monterey, I assumed, you know, San Jose is an hour away. It's got to be pretty similar. And it was just like two different worlds. It's very fast paced, very, it lacked a human component that, that I really appreciate in the communities that I live in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You keep going back to that, uh, that part of you that's really drawn to people and connection. So I could see how Silicon Valley wouldn't quite tap into that part of you. Yeah. That, that show about Silicon Valley is scary accurate. <laughs> yeah. 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 Definitely. Huh. Interesting. So, okay. So how long did that stint um, in Silicon Valley at the gym last for you? Uh, barely five months. Mm-hmm. Yeah barely five months. I was living in San Jose and all my friends were still in Monterey. So I'd go down there every weekend. And honestly, I'd complain a lot. I'd complain a lot about my job, the roommates that I had, um, about everything. And one of my friends, he said to me, listen, dude, like you're not in the military anymore. You don't have to stay in a job that you don't like. And that was a light bulb for me. Like, oh, he's right. I don't have to stay in a job that I don't like. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I could do anything. (laughs) Yeah. And the timing worked out well because he and his girlfriend were about to move to Southern California and they needed a roommate down there. And so they asked me, Hey, we're moving. Do you want to come? Like you can quit your job. You can be our roommate. It'll be great. And so I said, sure. And I quit my job and I moved down to Southern California and had no plans, but I was okay with that because that was plan A to begin with. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Were you thinking about that too? Like, um, when you were in that job at the gym, were you thinking about how did you feel about the fact that you had switched your plan from all this pressure? Did that come up for you where you were like, Oh man, like, you know? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I, I was holding a lot of resentment for, the people who gave me crap about my plan and yeah and and I eventually worked through that you know I'm the one that made a choice to interview I'm the one that made the choice to take sure. the job I'm yeah. the one that made the choice to move um so it was really it was really an exercise for me in learning to trust my instinct and mm-hmm. and accepting and understanding that I do know what's best for me mm-hmm. I'm the only one that can stay true to that yeah, for sure. And and honestly, like as you're saying this, and we'll get into this in a bit, but to me, I'm like thinking to myself, wow, this makes sense why perhaps you are now working with people, helping them transition out of the military. Um, mm-hmm. Because it sounds like you had quite a journey trying to find your place. Um, I made all the uh, quote unquote mistakes you possibly could. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's not easy. You know, it's a big adjustment, as you know. Um, it is. So, okay. So you're down now in Southern California and what happens next? What do you decide to do? So what happens next is I, I had never, I had coached one CrossFit class in my entire life, but I was, like I said, a gymnast growing up. And at the time I had been competing in weightlifting for a few years. So if you're familiar with CrossFit, weightlifting and gymnastics are 
they basically form 50% of the movements. Mm. So I thought, you know what? I can coach CrossFit. I know the majority of what there is to know in order to be able to do this well. So I called up a few gyms down there and I said, hey, I'm new to the area. I have a background in gymnastics and weightlifting. Are you looking for coaches? And I, I probably called and emailed 20 gyms and I'd say four or five got back to me and I ended up working there and coaching CrossFit for the next couple of years. Um, again, the timing just worked out well for me. And when I moved down there, there was a strength coach who has, had just opened a, he does most of his coaching online, but he had just opened a brick and mortar facility and he was looking for interns for the summer. So I applied for his internship and got selected. And so I interned for a summer learning all there was to learn about powerlifting and weightlifting and just ended up coaching for the next couple of years. Interesting. And so how did that feel? Uh, did that, how did that align with your experience in the military and the strengths that you have and your interests? Did you enjoy your time coaching CrossFit? I did. I really did enjoy it. I, it was interesting. I, it, it was, I had gone from one male dominant world to another male dominant world, being in the gym all the time and coaching strength sports. And I had never in the military experienced a, you don't belong here because you're a woman feeling from the guys that I worked with. I know that's not everyone's experience, but for me, that was my experience in the military. I was never told you don't belong here. It wasn't until I started coaching that I actually had a few guys walk out of my classes because they didn't want to listen to a woman tell them how to lift. Wow. So that was interesting because in my mind, I, I thought I belong here. I know my stuff. I know what I'm doing. I know how to help you. Why would you not listen to me? <laughs> Yeah. And to your point, I mean, you had just gone through the military and a military academy and service and which are very male dominant in, in industries and to never have experienced that in that world now to experience it in CrossFit. That must have been tough. Yeah, it was very surprising. Yeah. Uh, all of them. There was three, three separate instances that I can remember. And they all ended up coming to me individually and apologizing and saying, hey, I was out of line. Um, I appreciate what you're doing and why you're here and, and I'm ready to listen to you kind of deal. Yeah. So, so did that impact you um, and your decision to, uh, to stay or to go as a coach in CrossFit or was it just kind of just part of the deal while you were there? That, uh, that specifically didn't influence my decision to continue doing it or not continue doing it. Mm -hmm. uh, I've been coaching CrossFit in some form or fashion since then. Mm -hmm. It's just more of a, uh, a couple hours a week here and there that I do now. Um, whereas then it was full-time. What really for me was the catalyst of I need to do something else was again, living in California, working at a gym. Uh, <laughs> it's not the uh, best compliment to the cost of living. And I was, while I had moved down there and the plan was to take a year off, I again took maybe three or four months off and then dove right into coaching full-time, coaching 20 hours a week, managing the gym 20 hours a week. And it quickly became a 60-hour-a-week commitment that I was in the gym coaching and training. 
And so that was really the catalyst for me to make a change was all my work was at the gym. All my friends were at the gym, my hobbies, my passion, my spare time was spent at the gym. So I had no balance in my life. Yeah. That was the catalyst to move on from that and make a change. Mm -hmm. Were you just feeling tired? Were you just feeling like, what made you realize you were out of balance? I was just crying all the time. (laughs) Yeah. I, uh, I didn't want to be in the gym. I resented having to teach people and I knew that that wasn't fair to them. You know, me showing up to class and these people coming to gym, coming to the gym for this class, that's usually the highlight of their day. They're happy to be there. And I'm resentful that I have to be there teaching them. I knew that wasn't healthy for me nor for them. And, and certainly not what they were paying for, what they deserved from a coach. Yeah. Um, So professionally, that was what was going on. And then personally, I just had no desire to work out. And I also knew that wasn't healthy. Yeah. So what did you do? So I, I was 28 at the time. I called my mom and dad and just like bawling to on that, on the phone to them, telling them like, I got to get out of here and I got to get out of here now. Yeah. And so I had again, no plan, but, uh, I ended up moving home into my parents' basement and saying like, I don't know what I'm going to do. It felt like rock bottom, like what 28 year old single person moves home into their parents' basement. Um, It was definitely what felt like a move of desperation Mm. and, and, and hopelessness, but that's what I did. And I, so because I felt worthless and, and very, shameful about what I had done as far as ending up in that situation, I became a financial advisor. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, And I, you know, I couldn't have told you at the time why I did it, but looking back, it was very much a, a grasping for some semblance of respect from my peers, some semblance of a title that other people would find to be worthy. It's so interesting because um, I can just tell you both from personal experience and then just my professional experience working with people, um, you know, you hear these terms like a quarter life crisis. And, and I can tell you that happens in my experience around 27, 28. It's like <laughs> you get out, you do this initial career that you think is going to be it. And like there comes this moment where you look at your life and it's either working or it's not. And I tend to hear that it's, and in my own experience as well, that it's around like 27, 28, where you're like, what have I done? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and it can be everything with like your career, your relationship, maybe a marriage that you've been in, just a lot of, a lot of things. So hearing that, you know, you kind of end up, you ended up going back home and, and trying to figure out your next steps. It's like, yeah, that sounds about right, actually. But I can tell you, you know, you you're obviously very driven and you went to a service academy and you had this career in the military and all these things. So I feel like, um, for us, like for our type of personality, right? Like people that go to these academies, these women that go to these academies, the blow feels even harder, I think, right? Cause you, you've had these amazing titles, you've done all these things and, and now you're like back at home. And to your point, like, trying to grasp for a title that you can tell people, you know, Mm -hmm. and to, to validate yourself. 
you know? Yeah, absolutely. And it's having shared this with more people, I've heard so many similar stories. Yeah. At the time, I thought that everyone who had separated was working for Google or Amazon yeah. or some super respectable company and they were CEOs and six figure salaries and all this stuff. And that's just not the case. <laughs> no, definitely not. <laughs> yeah, definitely not. But, but you're right. Like that's the illusion that we all have. We all have like this idea that it's like you just, everybody just figures it out and they're somehow this crazy successful person, but it's, it's, it's a tough transition, you know? Mm -hmm. A tough transition. So, okay. So you become a financial advisor. Mm -hmm. um, and how long did that last? That's, uh, so it lasted 18 months. So a year and a half I was doing that. Um, about, so I started doing that in August. In December, before I committed to being an advisor, I had booked a trip to Bali and I was spending the entire month of December in Bali. And what I quickly learned when I started being a financial advisor is that I don't value money. I don't care about money. I don't care about growing money into more money. It's just not something that's important to me. Mm -hmm. So having conversations all day long with people about something that I didn't find to be valuable nor important was really emotionally draining and mentally draining. Yeah. So I take this trip to Bali and I knew coming back from that trip that this is not the job for me. I need to make a change. It took me an entire additional year to actually quit because again, every time I would tell somebody this isn't for me, it's time for me to move on to something else. I appreciate the opportunity, but this isn't aligned with me and my values. They would say, you just don't know yet. You just haven't spent enough time here yet. It'll start to make more sense if you give it another year. And so I, I, you know, thought I was beyond listening to what other people think is best for me, but it was a lesson I needed to learn again that I do know what's best for me and other people don't. And, and it took me another year of being unhappy in that role and feeling out of alignment to actually pull the trigger and say, you know what, I'm out. It doesn't matter what you have to say. I got to go do something else. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's definitely, it's definitely tough. It's not easy when you have people around you that don't really get it, you know? Mm -hmm. um, Cause a lot of people, obviously, as you know, um, they pick a career and they kind of just go with it, you know? But when you're someone who's really in tune with yourself and you're paying attention to when things are working or not working for you, um, it's like unbearable to stay yeah. <laughs> in a scenario that's not aligned and, and it impacts you. It really starts to impact you. So, yeah. And it's interesting that you say, you know, most people are content to stay doing something that they don't love. That's so true. Yeah. I always say that everybody has a moment in their life where they, where they have that decision, where they have an awakening, where they know that like, they're going to stay like they should stay or go or do something different. But most people, they're afraid. It's a big leap to, to take a chance on yourself and to leap into the unknown and try something different. So, but mm -hmm. that energy and that awareness has to go somewhere. So, you know, they either start to develop these, these coping mechanisms, you know, to just deal with the fact that their life is 
not quite aligned, you know, and that could be anything from staying in a marriage that's not really right or staying in a career that's not really right. Um, because we're, we're humans, we evolve, we develop, you know, so this whole concept of staying in a career field for your entire life, that in itself is like, wow, that's crazy, right? Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. So, um, okay. So, so what do you decide to do? So when I came back from Bali and had, and had made that decision that this is not right for me, I also went back to school. And I went back to school to study positive psychology and coaching. Mm-hmm. And my, what I imagined I would do with that is coach sports, right? I had always been coaching sports. I wanted to take my coaching to the next level. And I thought this is going to give me the tools to be a better coach, to mm-hmm. incorporate those tenets of positive psychology into being more of a transformational coach as opposed to the more like dictatorial coaches that we had when we were kids. Yeah. Um, And so I went back to school to study coaching and realized that I don't want to coach sports. (laughs) Mm. The thing that I want to coach is not sports. The thing I want to coach people on is how to, like we've been talking about, how to make their lives better, how to get in touch with what they want and not only get in touch with it, but also act to make their outside reality match what they want it to look like. Yeah, that's what I wanted to be coaching. Um, so fortunate timing, I was able to use that year that I dragged my feet and quitting my job as a financial advisor to finish most of my schooling. So the timing ended up working out well. But um, yeah, that's what happened next for me. And that's where you currently are, correct? Yeah, so I finished coaching or I finished that, uh, that schooling and then I started coaching. Amazing. And how do you feel? How do you feel now that that's what you're doing? Does it feel, feel right to you? It does. It, it just feels there's a sense of freedom and lightness and alignment that I did not experience before. Yeah. There was always something missing, always some type of weight of other people's expectations and other people's desires for my own life that was weighing me down and when I started coaching for the first time, that really lifted. Yeah. Yeah. So, so with all that being said, when you think about your decision to go to an academy, Mm -hmm. how do you feel about that now? Like with this whole journey you've been on and where you are today? That's a good question. I always say, joking around that I wish I could go back and do the academy knowing what I know now. (laughs) because I imagine I would have done it so much better. But at the same time, I am grateful for everything that I didn't know while I was there and everything that I learned while I was there, because there's been so many parallels since I graduated of events that happened while I was in school and handling those not so gracefully. I was able to handle the events that came later better for having gone through it the first time and, and done it a little messier. Yeah. And it sounds like all of those experiences, all the ups and downs, both during the Academy and beyond, um, well, they're going to make you better able to do what you're doing now. Right. I mean, so it's part of your journey, obviously it's an important part, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And the best teachers experience, right? Yeah. <laughs> For sure. 
Um, so what's next for you then? Oh, that's a good question. I, what's next for me personally and, and, and professionally and, and from a career perspective is I want to make this transition easier for as many women as I possibly can. I don't, I want to, I want the experience to be empowering for them. I want them to feel as though they're writing the story, not that they're continuing to live a story that somebody else is writing. Mm -hmm. And yeah. Uh, yeah, that's amazing. That's amazing. Um, because that will definitely help with what you're trying to build, which is helping women transition out of, well, is it just women transition out of the military? Um, yeah. So I work specifically with women. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. Well, awesome. So, so Lisa, do you have any parting words for listeners, like a key message for your fellow service Academy sisters? Yeah. My, my parting message would be to remember that, you know, what's best for you and to be willing to stand up for yourself. Mm. Yeah. And what's one random fun fact to end on a light note one random about fun you. fact <laughs> yeah. ooh uh, a random fun fact about me that's always such a hard question yeah yeah i know that's why i like it <laughs> uh, i really enjoy snowboarding and I was able to get 30 days on the mountain this year before everything shut down because of COVID. Ah, oh. well, if you love snowboarding, Colorado is a great place to be. That's for sure. Yeah, that it is. <laughs> <laughs> well, awesome. All right, Elisa, tell people where they can, uh, where they can reach you. Yeah, the best place to reach me is through my Instagram or on Facebook. My Instagram is just my last name. It's at Ryan Dance, R-H-Y-N-E, Dance. And my coaching is all on Facebook at Empowered and Resilient Coaching. Perfect. Awesome. And we'll make I'll make sure that I put all of the, your links in the notes for this episode so that people can easily find you um, there as well. So, awesome. um, well, thank you so much. I appreciate you sharing your story. Thank you. It's been great talking with you and, and thanks for having me on. Thanks for listening, and don't forget to visit the Service Academy Sorority website to see photos, comprehensive show notes, and contact information for each guest. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn. In addition, if you enjoy what you heard here today, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and leave us a review. And if you'd like to be featured on an upcoming episode, please feel free to submit your contact information on our website at www.serviceacademysorority.com.